welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, hello, hello. Good to see everyone today. Welcome to Gateway. So glad you're here with us. I want to welcome Gateway family watching with us online and all of our Gateway Magnolia family as well. Let's give it up for them. Let's put our hands together. We love you so much. So glad you are here with us today. I want to share a little bit of personal news and then kind of give a a picture of what's going to happen over the next few weeks. Many of you know I have been dealing with a polyp on my left vocal cord, and I've been working with the ENT on some details of what that would look like so that I'm able to have full vocal strength once again. And so we, I work with the ENT, and we came to the place where we made the decision that on December 12th, this Tuesday, I will actually be having surgery on that polyp. I'm still praying. I want to say thank you for praying. I'm still praying that God can heal. Well, many times he works through physicians as well. And I, I know several other people have gone through it. Pastor Leland, who's our, one of our worship pastors, uh, Phil Wickham, Adele, they've all had this type of surgery. So basically what I'm trying to say is that after I have this surgery, I'll be able to sing like them and I'm probably joining the worship team, you know. But what that'll do is that'll actually put me on vocal rest, complete vocal rest for about three to five days where I won't be speaking while it heals. And then six weeks or so before I'll be back in the pulpit preaching again. But over the next few weeks, it's going to be incredible. Uh, Pastor Lane will be sharing next week. Then we have our candlelight Christmas services, which I want to encourage you. uh, Grab one of these invite cards out in the lobby. It gives you all one, all the information for you to join, but also to be able to share this with others. They say 80% of people would actually come to church if they were invited. So this gives us a responsibility to be able to do this, but it'll be an incredible candlelight service. And then uh, the week after that, we will have church at home. Church will be online or wherever you are with family and friends. You'll be able to gather around. We will not be in the building. So if you come, uh, we won't be here. But I want to encourage you, New Year's Eve at 10 o'clock, uh, we will be streaming a service. It's a special service. It's planned, talking about all that God's done in 2023 and giving us a preview of 2024. So I want to encourage you to do that with the family. And then in the new year, uh, the first week in the new year, we'll be starting our 21 days of prayer and fasting. So I want to encourage you during this time. It's an incredible time as a church. Uh, God has spoken to us and he's moved every single time. So I want to encourage you, whether it's a soul fast, social media fast, fasting food, whatever it may be. Uh, Fasting is a time where we give up some things in our life so that we can draw closer to someone. And I believe that Jesus uh, wants to have some time with us and fasting and prayer allows us to do that at the beginning of the year. So stay connected, stay plugged in because God's going to continue to move in a powerful way in the life of our church and also in our individual lives as well. Well, I'm excited to continue our legacy series that we've been in. If you have your Bible, you can go to John chapter 12, John chapter 12, or you can go to the Version app, click on events, and all of our notes are right there. Many people take notes and then they say, 
believe it, and it's an easy way for them to move forward. But legacy, when you think about this idea, it has so many connotations. But legacy is just simply what outlives you. It's what people remember you for. So for us, we're having this conversation about what does it look like for us to live intentionally today, knowing that the decisions we make today will shape the future generations to come. So the title of today's message is Unlocking Your Legacy. Unlocking Your Legacy. See, our, our focus of our legacy shouldn't just be what other people are going to think about us or even what we may think about ourselves or what we would like to leave. It should be centered around what God desires our legacy to be. And this shapes our character. It shapes the way that we have relationships with each other, the, the way that we treat our bodies because we know that he has uh, purchased us with a very high price. He's given his life for us so it affects our health and our bodies and then it even shapes the way that we handle the resources that he has given to us. And there are principles all throughout scripture that we're supposed to hold on to. And here's why it's important. Because when you live by principles, then you won't fall to pressure. Because there's many pressures that this world will give us and even sometimes that we may put on ourselves that can hold us back from becoming who God called us to be and leaving the legacy that he's intended for us to leave. So when it comes to unlocking our legacy, I believe there are three mindsets. This doesn't cover everything, but there's three mindsets that I believe that we can have. And the first one is this. We need to have a stewardship mindset. A stewardship mindset. See, the foundation for stewardship is actually another principle, and it's the principle of ownership. Stewardship simply means the management of the property of another. It means you, if you're an owner, then you can do whatever you want to do because it's yours. But if you're a steward, then you do what the owner wants you to do, and this is very important. 1 Corinthians 10, 26 says this, For the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. Psalm 50, 10 through 12 says, for all the animals of the forest are mine. This is what God is saying. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for all the world is mine and everything in it. I just love how he says, if I were hungry and I wanted a steak, I would not go and ask you for a steak. I'd just grab it because it's mine. This means that even all of our animals are here. This means that your dog that you love so much is actually God's dog. Some of you are like, God, this is your dog. It's a little bit possessed. You can actually have this dog, okay? I know all dogs may go to heaven, but my dog is definitely not making it, okay? You can take him, God. But everything in this world is his. This is important for us to understand this. Uh, Psalm 24, 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, this is another level, and all its people belong to him. See, he is a creator. He is the creator. And all of us belong to him. So here's what this means. That everything that we have, including our breath, is on loan from God. See, from the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he breathed life, and man became a life-giving spirit. And his breath is the breath that we continue to have. 
So the question for all of us is, do we ask God what he he wants us to do with the life that he's given us, with the resources and the money that he's given us? Do we ask him when it comes to spending for that thing that we wanted for a very long time? Because ultimately, he's the owner. We're simply the stewards, and it should affect every area of our lives because when we believe something, it should shape our actions. In Matthew 25, verse 14 and 15, it gives this parable that Jesus is sharing, but he's giving you a picture of the kingdom of heaven. And here's what it says. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver or talent. And by the way, a talent is a weight. It's a lifetime wage two bags of silver talent to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. See, the Bible, all throughout Scripture, there's over 800 references to money and possessions. The Bible speaks a lot clearly about the kingdom of heaven, but these two are actually so many times connected and tied together. But I want you to notice something. All of the servants are actually given different amounts. And you may look at this parable and say, okay, God, this is unfair. Everyone should have been given the same amount. But here's what you actually need to understand. The fact that he gave them anything at all was actually an act of grace. Because we don't deserve it. It's not something that we've earned. He's given us all talents. He's given us all gifts. He's given us all abilities because of how good he is, not because of how good we are. So it was an act of grace that he gave them anything, but he gave it to them in proportion to their abilities. Now, I want you to think about this. How did he know what their abilities were? Here's how, because he was paying attention. God knows what our abilities are. See, with ability, when God gives to us, that also comes with responsibility, The owner trusted everything to the people that he knew that they could actually handle it. He see, their capacity actually determined their opportunity. And you may say, well, I want more opportunity, but here's the truth. You also need to increase your capacity. And here's how you increase your capacity. The answer is through faithfulness. See, the way that you handle what God has given you today shows what you will be able to handle in the future. They go together. God, our faithfulness in the present opens the door for more responsibility in the future. See, it's important to realize that we're simply a steward because a steward invests what the owner has given them. And here's why. Because they know one day they're going to have to give an account. That the owner one day is going to come back and if they just take a lazy attitude or they don't really care, the owner is going to come back and wonder what you did with his belongings and what, how you stewarded the resources that he gave to you. See, in the natural, when we think of investing, we, we do it to have a, a good ROI, a return on investment. But whenever it comes to the kingdom of God, we do it for an E-R-O-I or an eternal return on investment. That's what God is calling every single one of us to. And this is how we're supposed to steward all that he's given to us. But I want to ask you, where do they get their ability from? 
Or even where have you gotten your ability from? See, so many times we can look at our IQ, our intellect. We can look at our EQ, our emotional. We can look at our RQ, our relational. There's so many Qs. There's DQ. That's Derek Queen. I just threw that in there, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> but we can look at all these things in the natural and think, okay, this, this, I've gotten this by my own power. I've gotten this by my own strength. I'm successful because I have skill and I've worked as hard as I can. And yes, those things are great, but you have to understand where the power to do all that actually comes from. Deuteronomy 8.18 actually tells us, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. See, God is a covenant-making God, but he's a covenant-keeping God. The reason why you have the power to do anything is because he gave it to you. As a matter of fact, even the resources that we use in this world, they're his. The car that we drive, the house that we live in, all came from materials that he ultimately created. So God is entrusting us with these things and with these elements. The question is, are you trusting God with what he has actually entrusted to you? That's, that's a question that we all need to be asking. I was just thinking to myself right now, even as I was just preaching the message, I wanted to take my family out to, to eat after this, but I actually forgot my wallet and uh, apparently maybe I left it in the bag. I left it at home. I'm just, so I'm just kind of wondering. Oh, wow. Thank you, Pastor Welby. I, that was so kind of you. I appreciate that very much. Oh, wow. A hundred dollars too. This will pretty much with inflation only feed my family Chick-fil-A these days. Okay. <laughs> But he gave me $100. That was so kind. I appreciate that very much. Okay. Well, let's talk about what just happened. Why did Pastor Welby bring me this $100? Here's why he brought it to me. Because I gave it to him before the service. <laughs> now, because I gave him what was mine, was, is he grieving right now because he returned to me what was already mine. Maybe he's grieving a little bit because he would have loved the money, but no, he's not actually grieving. Why? Because I was the one who gave it to him. See, we need to understand that when God speaks to us and he asks us to give his resources, when he asks us to share, when he asks us to tithe, when he asks us to do all these different things, he's only doing it because he is the owner and he's calling us to steward. And I want to let you know, he would love to give you more to steward of his, his resources and to bless you so that you can be a blessing to other people. So we need to understand and have the mindset that we are stewards and he is the owner. And I'm going to put this in my pocket and save it for later. So that's the first mindset. The second mindset is this. We need to have a generosity mindset. A generosity mindset. And this includes every area of our lives. John 12, 1 through 6 says this. This is a story of an encounter with Jesus. And it says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. 
A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard and anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Think of this moment, this sacred moment that's happening, and then look at what happens next. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So Jesus, Judas is the treasurer. Here's why I actually believe that Jesus made him the treasurer, because he was actually trying to give him a chance to change his heart. But he was a thief in this moment. But there's two hearts that are actually revealed in this passage, a heart of generosity and a heart of greed. And here's what you know, and here's what I've learned in my life. We learn wherever there's a heart of generosity is present, a heart of greed will be too. If you've ever said this thought or heard someone that said this thought, that money should have been used for these purposes. Just so you know, you're more in line with Judas than you are with God. Whenever generosity towards God is present, and here's why. See, Judas calculated the sacrifice that was to be given. But Mary, on the other hand, calculated the value of the Savior, not the value of the sacrifice. She was looking at the person who had done so much for her. And she was responding in generosity towards that. And Judas, because he was a thief and because he was greedy, hated that. He saw dollar signs to be greater than devotion to God. But he, she was doing something great in this moment for Jesus. Another way to say it is Judas served mammon rather than God. Matthew 6, 24 says this, no one can serve two masters. This is no one, nobody, not me, no one else here, no one in Magnolia, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I want to let you know, God, it says you cannot serve God and mammon. Notice this. It is not you cannot serve God and Satan. He's saying there's actually something that may be under the surface that you may not realize that you're serving rather than me. And it says you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. So if you've ever been loyal to mammon and despise God, this is why. Whenever things may not be going the way that you think, whenever there's this spirit of mammon, here's what the spirit of mammon is. It's an Aramaic word, and it actually represented the Syrian god of riches. This is what the word mammon means. It's a prideful and arrogant spirit that actually says that you don't need God. But it says here in the same way, mammon is actually looking for servants and it wants to rule over you. As a matter of fact, mammon actually promises you things that only God can give you. Mammon would tell you, well, if you had more money, then people would respect you more. If you had a certain house or a certain car, 
Maybe somebody, people would love you. Maybe you'd be able to fit in. It actually promises you hope. It promises you peace. It promises you security. And the truth is, all those things, and I, including your identity, can only be found in God. Mammon cannot provide you those things, but it lies to you and deceives you and tells you that these things can be provided by mammon when God is the only one who can actually provide these things for your life. It's very deceptive in the way that it goes about trying to master and rule over you. Think about this for a second. Out of all the miracles that Jesus did, out of all the lives that were transformed, there's never a time in the scripture when someone came to him and Jesus' response was, you know what? You just simply need more money. Money's going to solve this problem. Think about this for a second. Someone calls up, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus didn't respond. Well, you just need more money and then you'd be taken care of. No. Ultimately, he brought them to him, but this is the lie that mammon can bring to our lives. But this sacrifice that Mary actually gave in this moment, uh, it's a year's salary. How many of you would say that's a, that's a bit extravagant? If you give a year's salary and you break it and put it at Jesus's feet. See, there are levels to giving whenever you realize what God has done for you. But why did she do it? I want you to think about it for a second. Why did she do it? Here's why. Here's a, a reason. Let me say it this way. Because Jesus actually raised two months before her brother from the dead. See, a generous heart is expressed in gratitude towards God. See, when you're grateful, generosity actually flows out of that. It's important for us to understand that. But Jesus looked at her heart. And here's actually what he says. In Mark 14, 9, it's the same uh, parallel passage. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, we're talking about legacy during this series, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. See, her generous heart being an expression of her grateful heart is still being told today because I'm sharing her story as a memorial to her. See, what memorial moments will we have in our lives whenever we're willing to step out and be extravagant and be generous because of what God has done in our hearts and what he's done in our lives? The truth that he gave his son so that we could be in relationship with him. The truth that we can have hope, the truth that he's given us a calling and a purpose. He's given us a life that we could not have imagined on our own, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that he's given us peace that passes all understanding, and he's given us eternal life today, but also to come, and he's bringing us to a place that we could, that's better than we could have ever imagined. Here's what I want to say, and I heard a pastor say this, and it's always stuck with me. When it comes to the life of a Christian, he said, if you're a Christian, this is the worst that it will ever get for you. But if on the other side, if you haven't given your life over to God, this is the best that you'll ever experience. See, God has good in store for every single one of us. This is why he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay, why do you store up for yourself treasures in heaven? Here's why, because you're going to need them there. That's why he's called for us to do this. It's important for us to understand. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says this, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. 
And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Here's why. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. See, in our lives, we should always ask God to help us with the want to. If there's ever a person, and we all have probably struggled at one time or another when it comes to being generous, we should say, God, make me a cheerful giver. But one of the traps that we can easily fall into is we can say, well, I don't, I don't have an, enough to give. I don't, I don't have enough uh, uh, money, whatever it may be. I don't have enough hope. I don't have enough joy. Remember, the life of generosity is more than just about resources. It's using everything that God gave you to be a blessing to other people. But you may say that whenever I make more, then I'll give more. Whenever I have more, then I'll give more. But actually, if you look at the research, the opposite is true. The research actually says the more a person makes, the less they give. And here's why. Because their focus actually becomes on keeping what they have rather than giving and sharing it with others. It's about priorities, and they actually begin to trust in their riches for security, which is why Paul tells us, command those who are rich in this day and age to not trust in their riches, but to trust in a God who richly provides. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 11 says this, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. He's the one who increases your resources. And then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those in need, they will thank God. So he's saying in this moment, when you're generous, I'm going to give you more so that you can actually continue to be generous. But it says, I'm going to give you seed to sow it. There's nothing useful for a seed if it stays in your hand and it's never planted or sown. But here's the thing you have to understand about a farmer. Whenever a farmer goes out to plant a seed, he doesn't expect the fruit to come back with only one more. You sow because you know that that one seed can actually produce more in the future. There's an expectation of multiplication that happened. And this is what God is calling every single one of us to. To live a life where we sow the seed that he's given to us. So if you don't like the fruit in your life, the truth is you need to look at what you're sowing. And once again, I'm talking about more than money. I'm talking about a life of generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 3-5 says this. It's about a church that Paul is working with, and it says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Just so you know, giving should never be manipulated. There should never be pressure. At Gateway Church, we don't even pass the buckets. We believe giving is an act of worship, but we want your heart to be in such a place that you're grateful for all that God has done and you want to be able to give. So it's of your own free will. They begged us. Look at this. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to. See, giving becomes easier in your life when you give yourself to the Lord first. It becomes a natural byproduct because the closer you are in relationship to God, the more you become like him. 
And God is a generous giver. But they gave with the beyond their ability, despite their economic times. There was an economic uh, turmoil during this time, and they still gave. They didn't look around. They still gave, and they trusted God to be able to provide for them. But they did it on their own, and there was no pressure. For those, many of you know that we have four kids, uh, two girls, two boys. During the last uh, labor and delivery, uh, we were at the very beginning. We were in the hospital room. It was me, Elaine, and a couple other people. And they decided whenever they came to be able to bring some food uh, into the delivery room. And the food was Babe's Chicken. I don't know if you've ever had Babe's Chicken. It's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, and it tastes like it sounds. Delicious, fried, and full of gluten. That's how it was. But it was wonderful fried chicken, mashed potatoes, corn, all these different things uh, that Elaine at that time could not eat because she was about to go in labor and delivery. So I'm there and I'm eating it, forgetting the reason why I was in that room was actually to support her. But the food was so delicious. It got to the point where it got a little bit out of hand. And she gently but lovingly reminded me the reason why I was in that room in the first place. So I put that food away. And I was there to be with her so we could focus on the delivery of our child that was to be born. But I really want to I share that story because I feel like many times it's very easy to come into church, to look around, to potentially even be distracted, or even have this thought or idea that other people are going to take care of it. Other people are going to serve. Other people are going to be generous. Other people are going to give over and above. Other people are going to do outreach. Other people are going to do this instead of realizing that he's giving you gifts. He's giving you talents. He's giving you resources so that you can be a part of the work that God is doing in his church and the work that he's doing wherever he's called you to be because we're called to live lives of generosity and to be able to trust in him. So the mindset that we need to have is a generous mindset. Here's the third and final mindset. We need to have the commitment mindset. The commitment mindset. God has called us to be committed to him and his purposes. And the greater the cause, the greater the commitment we should have. See, is your commitment in proportion to the significance of the cause that he's called you to? Many times it isn't. When our commitment is misplaced, we're chasing after things that actually are at the expense of the things we truly care about. You could chase after a business, a career, and actually forget your family, forget your marriage, forget your spouse, forget the things that actually hold true value in your life. I remember whenever Elaine and I were praying about planting this church, this was over seven plus years ago now, God put it on our heart, we were having conversations but whenever that happened, everything about our life began to change. The conversations changed, late night conversations where we'd stay up praying, uh, planning, dreaming uh, of all the things that God was going to do, meetings that we had with people, all the, the different things that come with it, giving differently, living differently because we knew it was coming ahead and even to the point where we got up and moved. But I want to ask you a question. Why were we willing to do that? Here's why. One, because we love God and we believe he was calling us to it because we actually believe that the church is a cause worth giving your life to. What Jesus came and what he died for is worth all of us being willing to say yes to go all in to what he's called us to. First Corinthians 12, 27 says this. 
All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. See, the church is a cause that is worth giving your life to. See, when Jesus ascended from this earth, he left two things mainly. First of all, he sent the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us to guide us into all truth, and he's still with us and will never leave us nor forsake us. But the thing that Jesus actually said that he would build is he would build his church, and that's full of every single one of us. It's not a building, but he's building his people, the called out ones, the ecclesia, to be able to walk after him. See, Jesus gave his life, Ephesians 5 tells us, for his church, for his bride. Because Here's why. Because the church is God's answer to man's struggles. We can't do anything. He's called us to be a part of the church. This is why it can be dangerous, especially for a Christian to isolate themselves. I love the way C.S. Lewis says it when it comes to living a life of commitment and living a life of generosity. He says this, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are all too small. They ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our charitable expenditure excludes them. He wrote this in Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is a, is a quote that should impact us. He's saying that your life should be changed because of the, who you're living for. The cause that God has called you to, because you're a part of the church, there's some things that you may need to exclude that other people would simply say this is normal for them. There's a pattern of how you live that will be different than other people. Luke 16, 9 says it in a, in a, a different way. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, that's when you pass away, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, this passage may seem a little bit weird as it's saying you use money to make friends. That's not what it's saying here, okay? Money may make you friends, but that's not what Jesus is saying in this moment. Here's actually what he's saying. He's saying use the resources and the money that God is actually giving you for eternal purposes, don't just simply use it for what's temporary. And here's, here's what you need to think about. What is eternal? People are eternal. Souls are what is eternal. See, I can use the resources that he's given me to reach more people for Jesus Christ. And it says, and when I fall or die, fail or die, they will actually welcome me into heaven. See, we are all going to be greeted by people who are in heaven because we gave. I'm actually here today because many years ago, there were people who may not have ever met me that were willing to gaze so there could be a church that we could go to, to where I can respond to the gospel and give my life to Christ. We want this church to be a place where people can come and they have their lives changed because a church does not just simply exist for the people that are here. We actually exist also for people who aren't here yet, who are far from God and need to develop an intimate relationship with him. The cause that he's given us is greater than when we are today it's because it's only God who can turn something that's unrighteous like mammon into true riches. God is the only one who can turn money into souls. But well, this is what a heart for the kingdom is all about. 
We're in a Heart for the Kingdom offering weekend. My hope is that over the last few weeks, we talked about it and what that means for us to be able to expand and accelerate the vision that God has given us here. It's an offering that's over and above the normal tithes and offerings that go to uh, the regular everyday ministry that happens here at the church, uh, from students to women's men, freedom, obviously kids and the other things that are happening here. And here's why we do it, because we believe that God is calling us to more. God has done so many incredible things over the past three years that really have been imaginable. It's more than I ever would have thought that he could have done, especially in a three-year span of time as we go into year four in January of 2024. But I believe that this is just the beginning of what God wants to do as long as we're people who are willing to still say yes to what he's put on our hearts. From the very beginning, we just simply ask people to pray to hear, believe, obey what he's calling us to be able to do because he's still moving in a powerful way. For those that don't know, uh, whenever we first moved into this building in April of 2022, just last year, uh, since that time, today we've actually grown by over 140% in the amount of people that are now coming to this location and also our Magnolia location. That's incredible growth in what God has done. But during that time, these are the exciting amounts of my hope is that you're here and you're celebrating with me. This year alone, 2023, over 800 people have said yes in giving their lives to God. That is something to celebrate, that the kingdom of heaven is growing larger and larger. 138 people have gone public with their faith in baptism. That's a huge number for people who have stepped forward and said yes to God. And over 530 people have committed to serving on the build team in 2023 to say, yes, I want to get involved in what's happening here on a consistent basis. As a church this year, we've given over $300,000 outside of the church to help equip and resource our local ministry partners and make a difference in our city, locally, nationally, and internationally. I'm excited for 2024 when we actually step into missions, work in, and take teams to be able to partner with those really around the world. And I want to say thank you because you are the most generous people that I've ever been around. And I love it because we are all here to respond to what God is calling us to do. There's been so many stories of spiritual transformation. And like I said, I believe that there's still more in the future. But here's what I always ask people to pray about. Uh, not just to give our best that would make us smile, but to hear, believe, obey, and commit to give in a way that makes God smile. There's usually a gap between the two, and that's why I believe the transformation happens in the gap between what we want and what God wants. Elaine and I were actually having this conversation about what God was putting on our hearts to give on the way here. And I want to throw up a link right now. You should be able to see it. There's many different ways that you can give to the Heart for the Kingdom offering. I know many of us actually give online, uh, but you can give in the offering boxes here. And if you're not ready today, once again, there's no pressure. Throughout the month of December, we're giving towards this so that we can continue to accelerate what God wants to do here. But here's what I want to say. The miracle is never about the, the resources that come in. It's all about what God does in our hearts. See, this is a time of faith raising, but the primary heart for the, heart for the kingdom offering is, here's what it is, is for 100% participation from every family who calls Gateway Church their home. 
The truth is, even as we've grown, there's been, there's been families that have been deciding, okay, is this a place where I can give resources to? And this may be a, a time as we're talking about this offering to say, hey, this is going to be the t- first time that I give to the work that God is doing in this church to be able to part of what God is moving forward here. Because our story has simply been a story of God's faithfulness and his favor. And it's simply the reason that God is doing a great work is because we're willing to say yes to everything that he has for us. I want to share a quick story about a ministry that we've given to for many years and, and someone who's gotten connected into it. This, this was sent in. I just want to read it. It says, I was, it's about a woman and she says, I was a young 18-year-old who had just graduated at the top of my class and had a full-ride music scholarship at U, to UTSA. However, I was searching for love in all the wrong places, trying to fill a void that only God can fill. I ended up getting involved with the wrong guy, and the relationship quickly turned physically abusive, and I came out pregnant at 18. I felt like because I was pregnant, I had to give up my hopes and dreams of going to college. I knew my parents would be crushed and would not approve of the relationship or pregnancy outside of marriage. It was a hard choice to make to keep my baby because it meant to do it alone, or at least I thought it did. Their father alienated me from my family, and I was not reunited with them until I left them. I remember being in the hospital, being ready to give birth, and a lot of my religious aunts and uncles surrounded me, telling me what a failure I was for being the first unwed teenage mother in the the family, and how it would be another statistic and never escape the cycle of poverty and abuse. I kept falling back into the cycle of abuse. I get pregnant, lose my job, lose my vehicle, lose my home, and finally, I found myself sick of the cycle. It was awful and it was not an easy cycle to escape, but God moved. He provided everything I needed, my family, my church, and my friends, a whole tribe of people that surrounded my boys and I. I went on to graduate college at the top of my class with a bachelor's degree in accounting and today now work as a professional. One of the things the Holy Spirit prompted me to do that I still do to this day is to write down my goals and give it to the Lord. And one by one, God has answered my prayers and made a way. And this woman serves in a ministry called Embrace Grace for those that have unplanned uh, unplanned pregnancies that we encourage them as a church rally, come alongside them so that they'll at least have the baby and equip them and give them resources to raise them or give the babies up for adoption. But see, this is a story of redemption where they got connected to a church, where they were able to come in despite what they had done in their past, despite what shortcomings, failures that they may have even considered in the past. And God is able to step in and turn that story around and use it for good to where she can now be a blessing to other people that were going through the same thing that she's going through. See, that's why the local church mobilizes the hope of the world. This is the cause and the, that we get to commit our lives to, that we get to say yes to, that we get to be a part of what God is doing. And my hope is that you're excited as I am, not just for what God has done, but what he's going to continue to do through every single one of us as we're willing to say yes to him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. At the end of every single message, we ask this question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? You guys, is it a church where at this time for 
Heart for the Kingdom offering, and, and my hope is that you are uh, preparing and planning and, and praying about get what God would have you give. But today, there's still burdens that you may be carrying in a moment. We want to respond to this message. In a moment, we're going to have a prayer team down front here and at Magnolia. We would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. I want to encourage you, don't leave today with the same burdens you came in with without joining in faith with someone in prayer because we believe that God will show up and that he is a God who answers prayer. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have blessed us. You've put your hand upon our lives. We've chosen to follow after you. We thank you for what you've done over the last three plus years at this church, that you continue to expand us, you continue to grow us. But I pray that today you, you would continue to stir our hearts to say yes fully to you, that you would move in us, that you would speak to us, and that we would simply be a people who are willing to say yes. We hear you, we believe you, and we will fully obey we will live with the mindset of stewardship. We will live with the mindset of generosity. We will be committed to the cause of Jesus Christ, the work that you are doing here on this earth because it's a cause worth giving our lives to. And we thank you for that right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.